there. This is the American Food Roots Podcast. I'm Bonnie Wolf, and I'm here with Peter Ogburn to talk about why we eat what we eat. Hi, Peter. Hey, Bonnie. Well, I'll tell you, this has been a week of eating green. And when I say that, of course, I mean Ireland, because it was St. Patrick's Day, which turns out to be a major food and drink holiday. And although I know this has passed and we won't rehash everything that we ate or didn't eat on St. Patrick's Day, I wanted to talk about stout because this is sort of the, as we say at AmericanFoodRoots.com, the typical Irish tipple, if you will. Guinness is stout. We all know about Guinness, right? And there are loads of American-made stouts now, which I found absolutely fascinating. Stouts essentially are are strong, dark beers, and they're usually brewed with roasted malt or barley. And they they can they can include what they in the stout business call a wide range of flavor profiles. And we talked at AmericanFoodRoots.com about a bunch of different stouts. One is the Irish dry stout. Do you know what that is? I don't. Well, that's sort of what most Americans think of as okay. a typical stout. Okay. Um, like Guinness. And they're, they're light in body and black in color, and they, they have that foam that mm-hmm. lasts forever. Mm-hmm. I actually was told once if you make a cross in the foam, it'll still be there at the bottom of the glass. But Is that right? Yeah. But I don't usually remember to look. So. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens when you drink too much Guinness. Exactly. <laughs> and You make uh, a cross, and then who cares what happens to Although it. a lot of stouts are what I just learned are called session Beers. Okay. Which means, is this a term you use often? No. Peter, do you know anything about drinking? It's it's either swill or it's not swill, <laughs> exactly. right? Like, that's all. That's, that's, those are the two terms I use. Well, apparently a session drink, beer, ale, whatever, is something that you can drink a lot of over a beer drinking session. So okay. they're only like four 4.5 alcohol by volume, um, which... Another thing I didn't know. That's important, by the way, because if you do get one of these, a lot of these stouts and porters and heavier drinks, a lot of times they can be heavier in alcohol content. Another one, and this is my new favorite thing, milk stouts. Oh, yeah. I have had a milk stout. Oh, they are just delicious. Yeah, they really are. Um, And I learned that they have something, they have more residual dextrins. Uh, which are carbohydrates and these unfermented sugars than other stouts. So this gives them kind of more body and sweetness and sort of complements the roasted flavor. Um, and how many times have you found yourself thinking, like, I kind of want a little pudding, but I also want to get a little buzzed? <laughs> exactly. Right, milk stout is the drink for you. Straight to the milk yeah. stout. Yeah. And they have fabulous names like Carton of Milk <laughs> by the Carton Brewing Company, Mother's Milk Stout. Now, there is also, I had um, some yesterday, uh, burger cookies, a specialty cookie in Baltimore, essentially a piece of some kind of sweet cookie, which is irrelevant to the two inches of fudge on top. So there's now a burger cookie stout, and it's a chocolatey, um, they're coffee stouts. Oh, man. We're wanting to go out and get some stouts. Chocolate milk stout and burger cookie stout. Those, I mean, yeah. 
That okay. sounds like a good time. Then there are what you might call your morning brews. Oh. Yeah, yeah, because you know, you know, you wake up, <laughs> rub your eyes, and where's my where's my beer? Instead of saying where's my oatmeal, you might say where's my oatmeal stout. Oatmeal stout. Which um, they're sort of medium to full-bodied brew, and they they add oats to the mash, and it makes them apparently incredibly smooth. Huh? Who knew? And then there are Russian imperial stouts, and they're sort of inspired by brews of the 1800s, which were made to win over the Russian czar. Whoa! Uh, but they're high in alcohol and have. As Beer Advocate I, says, huge roasted chocolate and burnt malt flavors. I was going to say, I have, I know I've had one of these Russian stouts, and they are very, very powerful. I, the one I love, again. You drink me. one, make you strong like bull. <laughs> you drink Russian stout, you become strong like bull. So the, there's, a, there's one called Old Rasputin. That's the one I've had. Really? I have had the Rasputin. I mean, why wouldn't you drink a stout called Old Rasputin? It has a picture of Rasputin it on the does, bottle. It does, and it's indeed. terrifying. You can actually see these pictures and read more about stout at AmericanFoodRoots.com. Nice. So uh, I can't get the beer itself at the website, can I? You cannot, okay. but we are working, working on that. Working on We're that. working on that. <laughs> so you've drunk all this stout. Yep. You're not feeling so good. No. So what do you eat? Mm. This gets to a, a story that we're going to run later this week about so-called invalid foods. And um, this covers a wide range of stuff. We started looking into this because there's kind of a movement now for hospitals to shockingly offer decent food to both their patients and the, and the visitors, why hospitals have the worst food in the world has always eluded me. But some of them are starting gardens. Some of them are bringing in real chefs to offer. They have uh, have lovely things to offer in the cafeteria. Um, but a lot of this started, um, well, probably the beginning of time. <laughs> and I have these fa this fabulous cookbook. It was the only cookbook my grandmother owned. It's called The Settlement Cookbook, and I'm holding it up to show you right now. Look it's, at that. It's called, and you know this is an old book. It was written in 1901. On the cover, it says, can you read that, Peter? I can. The Way to a Man's Heart, <laughs> The Settlement Cookbook. That's great. And there's a line of little tiny women Chefs yeah. holding something that says cookbook. Cooking something for their man, exactly. I'm sure. Exactly. Yeah. But in this book, they have a whole section on invalid cookery. And I love... Sounds it. delicious already. Exactly. And I love some of the things. The food should be served in the most pleasing manner possible. Use the daintiest dishes in the house. Place a clean napkin on the tray. And if possible, a fresh flower. <laughs> now, I know that your kids and your wife do this whenever you're laid up. Oh, yeah. But do they bring you and, – and some of the things here, here are liquid diet recipes. Lime water, albuminized milk, which means you put an egg an in egg it. An egg in it. Let me tell you, if you're not sick before you drink <laughs> a glass of milk with an egg in it, you will be afterwards. Toast water. Ew. Okay, so you cut bread into, cut bread up, blah, 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 toast it, break it into pieces, boil water, pour it over the bread, let it stand for an hour. 
strain through the cheesecloth, serve hot or cold. <laughs> no, why? I, I can't explain that. Ew. But um, now this I found fascinating. Flaxseed tea. Okay. Okay, here we are, 2014. Yeah. Flaxseed. One of the hottest things out there. Is everywhere. Yeah. Here in a 1901 cookbook, they're calling for flaxseed tea, also beef tea, which was very common for the sick. The, um, Let's just not transition from flaxseed tea to beef tea quite so comfortably, Bonnie. That's uh, You did that with a little too much ease. Okay. How about brown flour soup? Oh. But that one of burned. One of my favorites in here is liver soup. Okay. Which is just a little li- raw liver with uh, tomato soup or chicken broth, seasoned with onion if desired. Now, <laughs> I, I mean, if you're not feeling well. What did your mother give you when you weren't feeling chicken well? Chicken and dumplings. Chicken. <laughs> no. This that, is, of course. That, every the, single time she would make chicken and dumplings. That was her thing. That's light. Yeah, That's very light. Not so, so much. Not the way the, the flu. Not the, <laughs> not the way we made them. <laughs> what if you dumplings <laughs> yeah. in your stomach? That'll... Yeah. A lot of people have chicken soup. No, we throw some biscuits in the mix and, and call it chicken and dumplings. I love, um, you know who MFK Fisher is? Sure, yeah. Too young. Of course. Okay. No, no, I know. Um, one of her favorite foods was milk toast. Mm. Now, you probably think milk toast is just something you call yeah. a 90-pound weakling. Is it an actual thing? It is. Uh, sh- what she says, it is a warm, mild, soothing thing full of innocent strength. A small, modern miracle. Of gastronomy. <laughs> she then gives a recipe for, and I quote, the ill, weak, old, very young, or weary. Oh, okay. Well, got everybody covered there. Yeah, I think that pretty much covers the waterfront. So what you basically do is make toast out of homemade bread, of course, slather it with good butter, mm-hmm. um, break it up, put it in a bowl, cover it with boiled boiled milk with a little cream in it, Salt and pepper, and then just eat that puppy up. Hmm. What can I say? Seems like an acquired taste. Yeah. But, I mean, I like milk. I like bread. I like butter. I mean, together, I'm sure it can't be that bad. There still are these kind of foods that are specially for certain times of life. But this this did throw me a little bit. A cousin of mine had a baby a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I made her a pot of chicken soup, mm-hmm. and for which she was very grace, grateful. And then she called me and said, would, would I consider making a batch of lactation cookies? Um, are we talking about milk toast again? <laughs> Milk cookies. Okay. This, what are lactation cookies? Well, I looked at I thought, this is crazy. So I looked at Full up. disclosure, I've never breastfed a child. I know this. Peter, is that true? It's 100% true. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that. <laughs> I missed out on that opportunity. <laughs> yeah. I've seen it done. This, they used a midwife. Mm. And um, the midwife sent home a list of things that you should do in what is now called the fourth trimester, which mm-hmm. is after you have the baby. And I have to say, I think that's a pretty good concept. Um, and one thing was these lactation cookies. They have some other name. It's not Latin. It might be Spanish. That... Um, and this is not an uncommon thing. It's supposed to increase milk production. Why? I don't know. But I did make them after a trip to the health food store mm-hmm. where I bought 
the aforementioned flaxseed. Okay. Um, nutritional yeast. Uh-huh. Oats, okay. whole wheat flour, uh, chocolate chips, interestingly. Oh, sure. And uh, she just called this morning for another batch. Whoa. So now I when, never knew this was a thing. Who knew? Well, on the very opposite end of the spectrum, <laughs> uh, from food, bland food uh, that you eat when you're not feeling well, is the uh, event that you're going to this weekend, Cochon 555, yeah. which I believe is four hours of of uh, pork frenzy. Apparently over 11 tons of heritage pork raised by family farms is going to be served all across the country, and you're going to be at one of the locations. Yeah, yeah. So what they do is they get five chefs from a city, and then they give them a heritage pig, and then they cook usually about five dishes to serve up to people. And it's a very, very cool event because it's it's a lot more than just the pork. It's the atmosphere, and uh, there, there are a lot of drinks and a lot of other little tastes and snacks. And last year I went, and I ate – I mean, they tell you before you go – you are going to have more food than you know what to do with. I mean, it just it comes at you fast and furious. All pork. All well, it's all pork based, right? So there are little things that come with it. I'm just uh, looking at some of the menus. the The winner was a guy named Mike Isabella here in town. You've probably seen on Top Chef. His menu was he had a charcuterie plate with some uh, stuff that he had made with a uh, pork fat arancini. Which he had made like a little. Is that like a, a fried? A risotto ball yeah. that he had used pork fat with. A pork belly pastrami. And then the Nutella cookies. Okay, Nutella cookies uh-huh. with whipped lard frosting. And how were those? They were very rich. They were very, very rich. There's a lot of rich food being passed around. I mean, they, they, some people had done a take on an egg McMuffin with a pork fat lard McMuffin uh, with the cured um, uh, Canadian bacon. They were all different versions of um, uh, of charcuterie. Um, Do you eat, are these just small bites? A lot of them are small bites. Yeah. One of the things that captured the spirit of the event the best was someone made these sticky buns with bacon inside of the sticky buns and had used pork fat as, like, the caramel stuff that went on the sticky buns. And they were really, really delicious. Now, why do they do this? Their point is they want to show how delicious heritage pigs are. Family farms have been raising these, these heritage pigs, these breeds of pig that have been around for years and years and years, generations and generations. They haven't been bred to become smaller and leaner and easier to contain. They're big, fatty pigs. And their point is that this fat equals flavor and that you get these wonderful porky dishes that don't taste processed and they don't have fat that tastes like plastic uh, and meat that tastes really, really lean. Uh, it's very, very flavorful meat when you use a when you use a heritage pig. And do you taste the difference? I could say this. There are certain things that you can and certain things that you can't. For instance, on something like uh, a dessert where it's sort of the fat is used uh, in a dessert, I mean, you do feel that it is a richer dish than you're used to using. But if it's a just a clean cut of pork uh, or a sausage using fat and meat from a heritage pig, you really can taste a difference. It 
it's a punch of of porkiness and delicious fat, not greasy, but very flavorful meat that you don't get when you buy it from a grocery store. We will definitely talk about this more next week after you've been to Cochon 555. Yeah. Why is it called Cochon 555? Cochon is the French word for pig. Cochon is the French word for pig, and it's what they do is they give five chefs five different kinds of pig. Not not each chef. Each chef gets a breed of pig, but there's five pigs total, one for each chef. And then there are five winemakers that are also involved in the mix. So it's five, five, five. Got it. So this is wine, not beer, with the pig. There is beer also. There is also. There is also But they liquor. don't get into the five thing. They don't get into the five thing. Um, so just moving from, like, the world's fattest food mm-hmm. to uh, maybe something a little cleaner. Yes, please. It is going to be the first day of spring this week. Uh, are there foods that you really look forward to? I know. Spring? I know it's super cliche to say this. And go I, ahead, Peter. And I know that ramps are very overrated in terms of how delicious they are. I love ramps. I love ramps. I do too. And I love the whole ramp culture. Yeah, me too. And 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 I love that when you see ramps at the market and on the menu, that means that you've made it right. out of winter. Right, like you've made it out of winter, it's official, spring is here. Well, and they're so, if you'll excuse the term, ephemeral. (laughs) They're they're just here today, gone tomorrow. They are not around, well, I say that, and of course there are ramp festivals uh, all throughout West Virginia, the ramp capital of the world, like March through May, I Mm -hmm. think. And um, ramps, for anyone who doesn't know, are wild leeks, and they're... They're very small. They have just kind of an slight they, – they basically taste like spring. They do. They, they really do. You know, which is just another cliched way of saying something. But that's kind of, I think, where we're going with this conversation. <laughs> you know, well, you know, I mean, we spend a lot of wintertime doing roasts and stews and braises. And it's really tough to find a really fresh piece of green produce. Yeah. And And when ramps come, you know we've made it. You know, there's actually some concern that the ramp population is in decline because of over-ramping. Over-ramping? Exactly. (laughs) They've ramped up too much. (laughs) So – uh, I've read, and I'm going to I'm going to get to the bottom of this, uh, that there is now ramp farming, and ramps are something I think you should go out in the woods and forage for. You shouldn't like grow ramps. They grow in the front yard, you know, and that's yeah. The other uh, foraged food of spring is, of course, fiddleheads, which I love. Little yeah. fiddlehead ferns. I they're the and I guess they're called fiddleheads because they look like that little scroll on the top of a fiddle. They really do. Um, and they they uh, come out also in the early spring when when the ferns throw out their their new shoots. I uh, I can't remember what fern it is that I don't think you can eat any fern, the fiddlehead of any fern, but maybe you can. Do you like fiddleheads, Peter? You've got a very strange. Look on your face. No, I just, I don't know. I didn't know where to go. I, you didn't I don't know, know where to you, go with that. I didn't know if you can, I don't know what you can eat. I, yeah. I, I do know that when I see fiddlehead ferns, I buy them. They cost about a million dollars a pound. Yeah, they're not cheap, but they're also one of those things that are also, they're also one of those things that mean spring is here and you can't find them everywhere. 
No, they're very hard to find because well, they too are foraged. Right. And what do you do with fiddleheads? Sauteed, little shallot, little garlic, maybe some lemon juice, yep. and just yep. serve them as a side. Uh, a delicious, nutty, and wonderful. Yeah, so and they just—they have kind of a grassy. Mm-hmm. All these things just taste like they taste like that spring green color looks. Mm-hmm. I also just wanted to mention that if you watch for it uh, later this week on AmericanFoodRoots.com, we are going to have a really nice uh, slideshow and audio about Persian New Year which is called No Ruse. And we're going to feature a a man who runs a tiny uh, Persian restaurant in the Flatiron District in New York. So Nice. Yeah, that'll be fun. And that's a very springy, uh, springy holiday. Well, I believe that's all we have time for today. I thank you all so much for joining us. Follow us on Twitter at AMER Food Roots. Look us up on Facebook and Instagram and have a great week.